You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. All right, and so welcome to another edition of Business in Black. This is your host, Anita Harris, coming out of the lovely Brooklyn, New York. Uh, joined with our lovely co-host, Dr. Latanya Hughes, out of uh, not so sunny, a little cold uh, Miami, Florida. Good morning. Yes, uh, very cold these days. Cold for them people means anything below 70, so it's not really cold like it is here at 21. Last night it got down into the 40s. All week we've been getting down into the 40s, so that's pretty cold for us to be in the 40s, and you you do need to cut on the heat. Yesterday the high was only 66. So that when you're you're in the 40s and your high is only 66 or 62, that is pretty cold for us. Right. Um, I'm really not crying your river, though, because it's 21 here and it's snowing at 2 o'clock. You chose to go there. You you chose to go there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today's a very good show. We uh, have a special guest, um, Mr. Mitchell Levy. And we are going to talk about some aha moments as he is the aha guru. Um, And today specifically, we're going to talk about how is the landscape of business changing. Um, Mr. Levy, welcome to the show. Good to be here. Thank you so much for being here. We're excited to talk to you. Sorry it's so early on the West Coast. What part of California are you in? So I'm in Silicon Valley. Okay, uh, specifically yeah. Cupertino, where uh, for those who have an Apple product, you, you have seen our time and our temperature. Yes, very much so. All the time. I'm actually originally from Walnut Creek, was born up that oh, no way. Kidding. So I grew up in L.A., so I know that area pretty well there. But before we get into uh, the topic of the day, I would love for you to introduce yourself. I think, you know, people love to to read bios and I think that's so boring. So I would rather you tell us all of your amazing um, points about yourself as opposed to me just butchering up a bio. Well, how about we just say a a couple or a handful? We certainly never do all of our amazing bullet points. And because, you know, as you as you get older, you get to collect more. So um, give us a couple, just throw a couple. Largely what, what, what I do, um, I, uh, I call myself, I'm the aha guy from aha that. Yes. And we are a people publisher that empowers thought leaders to share their wisdom. All right. So what does that really mean? Um, what's important is to be successful in today's world. You have to be recognized to what you do. You need to be someone who people perceive you as the ex- expert that could solve the problem. Uh, another classification of recognized expert is thought leader, you know, and so what I do is uh, I've got four different book publishing companies. We've published over 800 titles, but what I've really done that is fun. And so this is my, the, the killer, the killer app is that we have created a platform where the, we do two things. We've got social media content that you could share for free. So there are over 42,000 aha messages that one could share today, go and use, use and share for free. And in addition, now here is depending on whether or not you're a DIY, a do-it-yourself person, or whether or not you want somebody to do it for you. As a do-it-yourself person, we've had 300 people write their aha books, write their books in eight hours or less. I love it. And then uh, for those who are, now this is interesting to me, 
even though it only takes eight hours to write a book, we have 20 people who paid to be part of a Kickstarter last year. Mm-hmm. Of those 20 people, only three who, who paid to, to actually have their book published, only three of the 20 have written their book so far. So wow. that means that 17 people couldn't find eight hours in a nine-month period. How is that? So, well, this is interesting. By the way, this is an interesting component of human nature, mm-hmm. right? Having published 800 books, you can look somebody in the eyes and they can tell you who they are and what their life is and what they're doing and what they want to write. And they may have one of, one of my great authors who, once she's, she wrote her book, which took her about 120 hours, I kind of guessed that it would take her two years to write it. She said it would take her six months. It took her two years to write it. Once, once she wrote it, though, her capacity utilization, she is a consultant, went from 40% to 85%. Wow. And so you would, you would think if somebody was going to be that more that much more effective mm-hmm. that they would recognize that, Hey, let's do this in six months versus two years. What happens is we as humans have other things to get in the way. Yeah. Right? And, and although eight hours is a really short amount of time. So this was my humongous aha moment, my job as a publisher. Okay. How do we make, how do we make it? How do we press? Wait, here we go. How do we press this button? Easy. Okay, the easy mm-hmm. How do we get people to write their book like that? Yes. And so I, I thought eight hours was pressing the easy button. And it just turns out, and, and, and here I actually had 17 people. I could say, okay, how, how come you haven't done it yet? There's always a good excuse. Right. And it basically just means that life didn't line up properly. It wasn't that important to them. Mm-hmm. So I'll share my last thought. Um, so this took longer than I thought. It's okay. Sometimes the brain go and it's early <laughs> and it's pulling stuff together. So what we decided to do after that is, is my aha moment was simply if people can't find eight hours and nine months to write a book, then what that means is there's a certain percentage of the world that just wants it done for them. Right. And so we have a, I've been doing a show like this where Actually, we switched from uh, Google Hangouts to Zoom, and I basically do a half-hour interview like this um, called Thought Leader Life. Mm -hmm. And because I was doing that, what was interesting is two hours of recorded content is enough to create an aha book. Mm -hmm. So what I decided to do is experiment, and now we've done this uh, a dozen times. Um, The experiment was, how about I do a two-hour interview with with the author and then have my team ghostwrite from there? Nice. And it's turned out to be, so the go-to-market strategy when I'm talking to CEOs and, and other people who, are, who, who have thought that, hey, I need to have a book that's going to help my business, is simply, let's do a two-hour interview. I'll extract the genius out of your brain, i.e. going back to my tagline, mm-hmm. and then my team will ghostwrite the book, and now you get a chance to actually modify it from there. And so in terms of stuff I've done, uh, that's great. And then I'll tell you, about a month ago, I did my first TED Talk. So I'm looking forward. Oh, to congratulations. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Thank you. Very good. So a couple other things. Um, oh, I did a commencement speech for university last year. That's been good. been married yes. 28 years. Okay, that's uh, enough. Okay. Not, okay, well, well, well. <laughs> As you can tell, people, we will be having some wonderful aha moments throughout this entire interview. But those are all really good things um, to pull away because I'm a firm believer, and Dr. Hughes is as well, of 
if you want to expand your platform, you have to become the authority in your domain. And that comes through writing it down. There's something about the connection for people when they see it in writing, they believe you way more um, than when you just talk a good game. So that's going to be a huge resource for some people. And we'll be able to tell them later how to get in contact with you. But for now, I want to get straight in because I've been doing some research. I'm excited about this topic. And um, how is the landscape of business changing? Uh, I have a couple of things that I want to talk about specifically. So I'll just open it up to start with technology. I think technology is the number one game changer that we've seen. Um, I, I think that's an easy um, assumption to make as we've, we've gone mobile, we've gone um, where people that didn't have computers in the home now have them as a result of having a handheld device. Um, but the technology scene, especially you being in uh, Cupertino in Silicon Valley there, tell us, tell us a little bit about how you see it. And is it different than what the drip effect, because you're right in the hub of things. So is it more energetic? Is it a little bit of a different feel than what other places are experiencing with technology and how it's affecting our business landscape? Well, I've got about five questions in there. Let's uh, yeah. <laughs> let's start with how does it feel to be in, in Silicon Valley? Yeah. And, and we'll talk about technology. The, the, the answer, no matter where you live, you could find a hub of people to hang out with that's more like you. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe that's one of the things that's really fascinating about technology, whether or not you're doing that virtually or, or physically. You know, if, if you want to physically go to meetings, go to meetup.com or in Silicon Valley, there are over 3,000 meetings one can go to uh, in a particular month. And you pick those that are relevant to you. And a lot of the, the companies and the service providers that are servicing a venture capitalist and venture capital firms have meetings. So there's an opportunity to stay up to speed all the time. What's interesting is in anywhere in the world, even here in Silicon Valley, there, the, the crossing the chasm curve, the Jeffrey Moore, there's always leaders who, who, uh, who are experimenters. There's the majority and then they're laggards, right? So there's always a group of people you get to who are trying new things. Uh, there just happens to be a bigger number of those, I think, here. Mm-hmm. And and the conversations you have when you when you have cocktail parties or or talking to people or even going to your local uh, local location, people are just doing fun stuff here and experimenting new. So sometimes when I go to other parts of the country, it always surprises me where people are space wise. Right. Um, so what's changed? There's, let me say there's two things that are dramatically changed. Technology is an obvious one. And, and the simple point on technology is, I, I don't know, if, if you're old enough, you, you remember Dick Tracy, whether it's the comic books or the, or, or the TV show. And, yes. you know, at the time, Dick Tracy spoke into his watch, which was his two-way um, visual communication with his his boss. <laughs> yes. Well, we have that today, mm-hmm. right? And uh, we didn't have that before. We, uh, my wife and I commented the other day because we now constantly, uh, I use my phone, she uses a Fitbit. We constantly have a 
they thought of getting 10,000 steps a day. Why? Because we're tracking it. Why? Because the technology is easy. Now, we haven't gone as far because none of neither of us want to do that as having that stuff be recorded online so our followers can do it. Because A, she would never do that. Me, it's not my brand. Right. Right. So, right. so, so let's just say that technology today, and particularly with the new capabilities that are happening with AI, is absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. So the sometimes when you're when you're talking with a bot from a company, I'm sorry, I gave the answer. Sometimes when you're talking with a company on customer service, you're actually not talking to a human, you're talking to a bot. Mm-hmm. Right? And mm-hmm. and by the way, this is not necessarily a bad thing. It is for the person who was the only customer service rep who now is out of a job because they're replaced by a computer, that's a bad thing. Right. It's not necessarily a bad thing for the human who's getting better customer service potentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, so one thing is technology, and we can go down that path, but let me, let me change the nature of how things are changing. And this was largely what I've been spending a lot of time on because when I, when I, just, when I got accepted to do the TED Talk, the, the talk I gave was called um, being, being the capital B, capital E, being seen and being heard as a thought leader. Mm-hmm. And kind of what it, what I'm saying is how do we, how do we, as humans, how do we want to be seen and heard or how do we have to be seen and heard to be successful going forward? Right. And to me, the hat I put on was exactly what you guys are doing today here. Not just what do we need to do as individual entrepreneurs who are in the marketplace, but if we're working for somebody else, what do we need to do there as well? And what happened is, is I broke it into four sections, but the, the one I want to focus on is, is I, I, this, the primary section is what is success? And what I did is I measured success through the ages, and I measured it through the tool of collaboration. And so what I looked at is success in the agriculture age, success in the industrial age, and then what does success mean in the social age? Mm-hmm. And so what's interesting is if you look at our educational system today, if you look at how most companies are structured today, if you look at how we interact just as a human race today, it is all a direct outcome of the industrial age. Mm-hmm. So even though we have technology that does all these things for us, that doesn't mean that we are in the social age or the internet age. We are, I would say, halfway between in that transition. Mm. Um, I just, I, this is the first time I said this on the air. I stumbled upon, I stumbled upon this week, a presentation. So I was, uh, one of the things I, I didn't mention, I was called Mr. E-commerce during the dot-com days. So I was the guy who went to many CEOs and VP ops that says, you know, this is technology coming. It will allow us to talk directly to our customers. It will allow us to potentially have our manufacturers ship our product directly to our assemblers and have our assemblers send them directly to the customer without us having to be in the middle. And did they and think I you were many, crazy? And I had many VPs and, and, uh, and CEOs say, uh, that's yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. And we all know what the internet did. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and so I looked at a presentation I was getting 20 years ago in 1998. And I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I said this stuff. And, <laughs> and a lot of it actually is, is true today. Yes. So what's interesting as an example of industrial society, an annual performance review 
give me a break. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a silly thing. If you're a millennial or even the, the generation bef- uh, after that, I, you don't want to wait a year to be told how you're doing. You want to be told every day. Right. Well, that's, we think of that as if we think of that potentially as a bad thing. It's not a bad thing. Continual process improvement, continual reinforcement of positive behaviors, sometimes a, a suggestion or a movement and, and behaviors we don't like. Doing that on a daily basis, that's a good thing. That's a much better way to interact with your folks. Uh, that means the annual review goes away. That means continual process, continual improvement, continual enhancement happens daily. Well, that just, we can do this today. We have yeah. the technology that lets us do it. So, so the answer to your question is those people who could absolutely see where if we had a quote unquote social age, if you knew what that meant, um, if you could see what the social age means to you and you're doing something today that you think will take advantage of that as we, as we get further and further into that, uh, you can figure out how to make a lot of money as an entrepreneur. I have a question as we're talking about um, technology and and how it's affecting the landscape of um, businesses. Um, With the new vote uh, of the FCC to uh, repeal net neutrality, how do you think that will affect businesses? Oh, I want to pretend it didn't happen. (laughs) You and a whole lot of people. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you know, this is... This is one of those things that, so I was part of the internet before we had a World Wide Web. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, I was, one of the slides on the presentation I talked about from 1998 was the level of adoption of internet use across, from country to country across the world. And, and the, the, idea of that was, oh, by the way, this is really going to take root. <laughs> and and uh, I was part of a, a, a nonprofit organization. Uh, one of the things I did on the side was, uh, was a nonprofit helping, called CommerceNet, helping to push the proliferation and talk about some of the standards of what's going to happen. And our thought process from the beginning, and, and certainly many people in, the, in Silicon Valley, are up in arms about this because the internet, the the ultimate desire or thought process of the internet was to keep it the way it is today. Keep it as a resource that's universally able for many people to use and become better for it. Um, so, I, I, you know, the answer is, it because it hasn't been passed as a bill yet, um, and so, you know, our fingers are crossed because I, uh, the, my uh, best way to, to think about it is we've now reached a world where we, many of us are dependent. And so my 19 year old son, who is, who just lives on uh, <laughs> Netflix and Audible and <laughs> And uh, uh, gaming with gaming when I grew up was stick a quarter into a pinball machine or something. But gaming for him is playing with his friends around the world. Mm-hmm. And so the statement he said to me was, uh, "Hey, Dad, it's just going to cost me a whole lot more to be on the internet." And I'm like, "Oh God, what a 
I mean, so he's already accepted it as a fact. Uh-huh. And my fingers are crossed that, uh, that, that we figured out how, 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 we've, how we've left the benefits of what the internet should be, something that is not taxable at the type of rates that, that we could potentially see happening with this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's uh, excellent points. And so with that, we're going to take a quick little break here. Uh, You're listening to Business in Black. uh, And we're talking today about how is the landscape of business changing with Mr. Levy, uh, the AHA That guy. Um, And you can check him out on ahathat.com or the AHA guy dot com during this break and you're listening to business in black and we'll be right back you're listening to business in black with your host Danita Harris back with Business in Black. This is a weekly podcast where we talk everything about starting, growing, building a successful business. Uh, I'm your host, Danita Harris. And today we are talking with Mr. Levy, uh, the aha guy, um, about how is the landscape of business changing. He's in the perfect place for constant change of business in Silicon Valley, Cupertino to be exact. And um, we talked the the last segment a little about um, having enough time to write that book that you should be writing if you're um, a leader in your industry. Um, And we started talking a little bit about um, what I think the business landscape is changing too. Um, off air, we were talking a little bit of the integration of the hustle New York mentality along with technology and how those two are coming together to allow small entrepreneurs to just really explode and have amazing businesses. But I want to back up to a a catchphrase that we keep talking about, Mr. Levy, if you would, um, because some people may not know what a thought leader is. So oh, if you would just take question. a couple of seconds, a couple of minutes, and explain what a thought leader <laughs> is um, so people really understand what that concept is about. A couple of seconds. That'd be tough. Uh, by the way, <laughs> it, it, certainly feel free to call me Mitchell or Mitchell Lee, whatever. Okay, uh, yes. Yeah. So for those that want to know, it's, I spend a lot of time on thought leadership. And if you go to the, I've got a number of different websites, but if you go to the thinkaha.com website, I have a tab mm-hmm. for the leadership. Mm-hmm. And in that tab, it actually talks about the definition. So it's at the top of the page, it'll say thought leadership. You can click on that and it'll show you the definition of thought leadership. It'll give you some videos you could watch as well as talk about it, but I'll share it right here. And what I think about is a two by two. And in that two by two, it's audience by content. And so when you think about audience by content, and, and uh, for those watching, I'm going to bring this up. And if you don't mind, I'll, I'll even share my screen while we're doing yes. it. Yes. And, uh, and, and so what's interesting is, okay, here we go. I'm about, for those listening, I apologize. Just go to um, uh, thinkaha.com. And specifically then go click on the tab that says thought leadership and there's something that says defined. And, and what you're looking at here, um, for those that are seeing it online, is the two by two. And it, it like I said, it says um, audience by content. 
And what's interesting is that if you have no audience and no content, you're unknown. Mm-hmm. If you have a very narrow content set, but a very large audience, uh, I'd call you an evangelist. Mm-hmm. And in the past, companies used evangelists effectively. The problem with being an evangelist today is that your content is so narrow, you're not known or you're not looked at as being authentic. If you're not authentic, you're not trusted. If you're not trusted, people don't want to do business with you. Yes. So evangelists by themselves are no longer looked at as a positive thing. If you have a good amount of content, but your audience is terribly small, you're an expert. So what I call a thought leader, or I'll also say, I want to put recognized expert in that space as well. So to be a thought leader or a recognized expert, you have to have, and I'm putting up my double quotes here, the right content with the right audience. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? If you're doing consulting and specifically your success coach and, and your audience happens to be just in the state of Florida, well, then you don't have to share who you are outside the state of Florida and you don't have to talk outside of what a success coach means. If it turns out that the geography happens to be the U.S., well, then you now have a broader audience to go after. The content that you deal with should be enough content to prove that you're an expert. And so the thought leader is the person who has the right content for the right audience. And so that would be my definition of that. I love that. Thank you for clarifying that for people who um, may not have heard of it because it is an older term um, that we've used probably, what, 10 years ago, five years ago, and it's, um, it's still around and people still, especially in the business community, are using it. Um, and so I know with millennials coming on the scene, they're using a whole different um, word, um, um, uh, phrase, catchphrases, excuse me. Um, but I love that recognized expert phrase that you tied the two in together with, um, because that's exactly what they are. It's just about um, becoming that recognized expert. And I love one of the quotes that you um, you share with your aha that, which is today's attention span is seven seconds or less. Make it count. And so that really hones into why it's so um, necessary for you to be that recognized expert, because otherwise, who's listening? You know, otherwise, who's paying attention to you? And with everything flashing so quick before your eyes in the blink of an eye, people are on to the next thing. Um, so I'm huge on um, constructing phrases that are that quick catch phrase that perks people's attention, that tweetable moment that can get people to say, wait, I want to learn more about them. We've really gotten away from the 30 second elevator speech too, I feel like, um, <laughs> and, you know, like the, we we're no longer able to, and we forgot what it is to articulate what we do. And uh, in a sense to where it draws that person in to where they have an aha moment and then they want to know, more about what you're doing and it engages them deeper into a conversation that could lead to an appointment or, you know, an order or whatever the case may be in business. Beautifully said. Yes. Thank you. Um, So just, I want to touch right back on technology real quick, because I I would love to hear um, how the landscape of business is changing when it comes to money um, and technology. 
um, and how you, what you think about that. And I'm just fascinated, of course, because you're from Silicon Valley. So I'm just going to pick on that all this time. But um, with, especially with the Bitcoin explosion, um, do you have any thoughts on how we're going to see business develop? I I don't even know. I I know a little about Bitcoin, but not a lot. It makes me nervous, I have to be honest. And um, is there much talk in town about how that Bitcoin is going to change business and the way that we do business? Oh, well, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's really interesting to think about. So we, we use the term uh, uh, Bitcoin because it's a particular, uh, a particular commodity or a particular product that, that has actually taken off. What's, What's fascinating, if you're having the conversations on that, it's not about a single technology. So it's not just about Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. It's about any electronic coin or electronic vehicle, electronic mechanism. And the fundamental concept behind that is, think about it, it's it's just bartering. What is the value of the U.S. dollar? Right. What is the value of the Mexican peso? What is the value of the European euro? Well, it's based on... The interesting part, it's, it's based on the country which is backing that currency. Mm-hmm. And as the country has issues, the currency has issues. And it's legal ten- tender. It's produced by a particular entity that we technically trusted because we voted them into public, where Bitcoin is something new. There isn't a country behind Bitcoin. Right. There's a set of programmers, right? Right. And so now what happens is what happens when Amazon comes up with their Bitcoin currency Mm -hmm. and you're spending and trading in Amazon dollars, whatever that happens to be. Mm -hmm. So what you have to think about is, is as we move forward, the, what is the, what is the form of denomination that we are trading to be able to receive value or trade value of goods and services. Just going back to the agricultural age, you know, if, 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 if uh, one of us dealt with livestock and somebody else uh, grew corn and somebody else grew potatoes, we'd figure out how to trade with each other to have more product. Right. right? right. And, and so at a broad level, that's what, Bitcoin and other currencies are. It's just another vehicle to tr- trade and exchange value. And, and there are a lot of people who made a ton of money as products like that take off. And there are some that just haven't taken off at all. And, but the end result, if we fast forward a decade or two, is companies and entities will have their own currency. Now, what, what does it mean for a government if, if the whether you call it the country of Amazon, the country of Apple, the country of Google, the country of Facebook, when they all have their currencies and those currencies are not the same as the U.S. dollar, right? what does that actually mean for the company? I, it's a little more than we're going to cover in this show. What you should be thinking about, though, as an entrepreneur is just opportunity. Right. Because when life changes and things change, there's a great opportunity for arbitrage in the middle. And that's the that's what that's what it means to start it. So find something you 
you find interesting. Find an opportunity, an area, a problem. Basically, what is business today? <laughs> business today is there's a problem in the world, and you as the entrepreneur Probably. have solved that problem. Right, right, Simple. right. And all technology has done is made our ability to solve problems easier. So the next time, put in your head, put in your head this, listen to this, these words. It's always been done that way. Mm-hmm. It's always been done that way. So put that in your head. The next time you hear that, say to yourself, oh, can I fix that? Can I make money fixing it? Mm-hmm. And that's, that'll be powerful for you. And whether or not it's through currency or some other vehicle, that, that, that's what I'd say. Yes. Well, and that's a powerful statement. It has always been done this way, but that doesn't mean it always has to continue. And not necessarily that you want to reinvent the wheel, but you're just perfecting the wheel. You're buffing the wheel out. You're making it a little bit more illustrious. Um, I was just in Red Hook the other day going to dinner and passed by the Tesla um, a showroom. Of course, there's a Tesla manufacturing. Uh, I think it is the one off of 95 in South Florida, but Of course, you know, Tesla was the first company to just disrupt the entire community of cars and they accepted Bitcoin for a car. I think it was like, what, a year and a half, two years ago now, um, which just has everybody up in ours. You know, people are rolling over in graves because it's always been done that way. And here comes Tesla. Here comes Uber. Here comes these social, yes, disruptors using technology to just completely bust it out. I'm taking a picture of us for my Snapchat friends. So let me... uh, (laughs) <laughs> everybody pause for the click i love it you guys did great thanks for this yes, yes. um coming back to what you um what we talked about a little in the intro um well, real-time data that's a big one that technology is allowing us to really become more tangible on that real-time assessment of should i post it this time of day should i um, ha- highlight at that time of day, where is my money best spent? How do I produce the highest return on investment? So technology is really helping businesses streamline and it's no longer like you have a shotgun approach to it and you just kind of, you know, Ooh. okay, what hit? Beautifully said. What worked? <laughs> I think, um, a thing about technology is it makes positioning uh, a little bit easier for, especially for in a global marketplace that we're in now. And it's incre- we're increasingly in a global marketplace. And we've said this a million times before on this show. If you're not on the internet, if you're not on the web. Nobody you can find you. Right. So, yeah. um, but it, it, it definitely helps with positioning. And like you said, with real time data, it's, you know, it makes it easier for you to know exactly because sometimes who you think your market and your audiences is not. And I've said this mm-hmm. before, I, I use a platform, my colleagues and I um, used to use this particular platform. I won't say what, who it was, but they had a great platform, but because the people who used it weren't who they wanted to use it, they shut the platform down, but they didn't realize how huge it was. Well, so they ended up with business people using it, but their target was not the business community. But instead of shifting... We'll do another one for me that I'll post on Facebook later. Um, yeah, they shut that down. So it was really interesting. Um, <laughs> you have to know how to okay, use sorry, it. Thank you. Data. <laughs> it's, it's kind of interesting when 
it's it's really interesting your story because it, it highlights an important element. Oh. And the element is the transition from the industrial age to the social age. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. What that means is that we as consumers actually have power. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't true. So the funny part, you know, I've got a couple gray hairs for those that are, that are just listening versus <laughs> just watching. Just one or two, just one or two. And, and, uh, <laughs> and then when I went to school, I, I went to B school and I read about this concept called customer service. And I thought, man, how cool it is in the textbooks. Yeah. We used textbooks back then. The textbooks actually talked about how great and how focused companies were on customer service. And what, guess what happened when I entered the real world, the companies I worked for, as far as I could tell, just didn't care at all about their customers. I mean, they said they did, Mm-hmm. But the policies, the procedures, how we interacted with customers definitely did not look like we cared at all about what the customers were. Whereas now you turn a, you turn a platform off and there's enough of an audience, they keep it on. Um, somebody who's the CEO of the company does something bad, like Uber, and it negatively affects the company in the terms of billions of dollars of market capitalization, mm-hmm. right? So we now have a world where we're actually, here's the cool part in the social age, is that we as consumers are driving the success rate. I mean, we do business, as you know, with people we know, like, and trust. Well, if you don't know a restaurant, if you don't know a hotel, what are you going to do? You're going to look for reviews of your peers. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this is a technology that doesn't exist today that will very soon. And that is, I, and I use the word Yelp a lot of times as, as basically a verb, you know, for a review, I want a Yelp score. What I should have seen before I got on this show was a Yelp score of how you interacted with guests like me, Mm. right? Not just, not just how you interact with guests, but how you interact with people like me so that we could have potentially even in real time adjusted. we're, We're kind of adjusting with our brains, what we talk about, but what if, what if some suggestions came up based on the computers and based on our audiences of content we should talk about because we'll be able to increase our audiences because of that? Wow. Yeah. Right? So it, it, uh, you hear that? You're like, yep, that's going to happen, <laughs> right? Who's going to bring it to us? That's the right question because we're not quite there yet. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm a little nervous only because, you know, I watched Terminator and... <laughs> I watched the movie Out of Time, the one where you remember with Justin. Um, yep, Timberlake uh, when he was running. Uh-huh. Yeah, where he's got the time in him. You know, if you're out of time, dude, you got to get off the earth. So I'm just a right. little nervous about those oh, kind no. of movies. I, it's really, I know it's really fascinating because the with everything positive, there's always a negative. Mm-hmm. So as you could tell with this short conversation so far, I'm a glass half full type of guy and uh so i always look at the plus side of the world yes but yeah there's an opportunity for us to to really create a world that's not that and Mm -hmm. so the reason for the ted talk is here's what the social age should be not that it will but to me what that means is we do the work we want where we want when we want to do it and we're doing a much higher collaboration not just among humans like you guys doing a show together but Mm -hmm. also humans and computers yeah. Right. Or even how you integrated Snapchat and I'm doing uh, your story with uh, Instagram here um, and how we're able to just mix all of those together. 
Um, one of the things also, as we wrap up the technology portion and move on, uh, as, as Dr. Hughes has already hinted to me about the global portion I want to talk about, um, is the, the opportunity of, which I found fascinating. So I know someone who works as security in a building in New York and it's servers in the building. They don't even own the servers. They're like the third party. They're the leasers of the servers. And so those kind of opportunities where we're offering um, all of these great business technology movements forward, someone's got to be the groundskeeper. Someone's got to be the, the security threshold for that. Um, and so there's just all, like you said earlier, there's all different avenues for you to think of how you can move forward in um, the technology integration of where business is taking us and how technology and business are coming together to forge together. Because it's not going to slow down for sure. So you know, uh, we're going to take a quick little break here and uh, come back and talk a little bit more about business and the change of it, what it's going to look like in the next five years would be just very interesting. Um, and so I want to get into more of a global perspective uh, as we talk to Mitchell Levy. Uh, the aha guy.com uh, is where you can find him, as well as aha that.com. And you're listening to Business in Black, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris. All righty, and we're back. Uh, this is Business in Black. We're talking today with Mitchell Levy, um, the AHA guy. Um, please visit him on his website. We've had a lot of AHA moments. Let me tell you, I know you can't see us right now, but Dr. Hughes is over there taking extensive notes because it's just a lot of pearls of wisdom that's being dropped on this show. Um, everything from the business landscape changing. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about becoming that recognized expert um, that Mr. Levy so eloquently broke down as the thought leader um, definition for us. But as we continue talking about the landscape of business and how things are really changing, um, we're going to transition from technology, which was my biggest piece of seeing it's very visible how we can integrate technology into everyday life these days seamlessly from turning on our cars to turning on our homes before we get there to um, streamlining our businesses to collect data in real time. Um, this has also pushed us into a more global economy. We often have heard in latter years of we're just six degrees of separation away from people. And now it seems like that has even shrunk all the more. Um, the, the, the biggest and most interesting piece for me is finding out that my um, elementary school friends, because I grew up in California, are friends with my college school friends because I went to college, high school and college on the East Coast. And technology has helped me to be able to see that connectivity. Um, oh, that's also, so cool, right? Yeah, that's it's awesome. so crazy. Like, and I'm like, how do you know them? And they're like, <laughs> oh, we went to college together. Um, but then also globally, we're able to keep up right now. A girlfriend of mine is in London and I'm able to follow her. I have another one in Bermuda. Um, I'm able to follow them on their business journeys in life um, through the age of technology. But as far as a business is concerned, our globalization 
um, is allowing for expansion. Uh, Dr. Hughes and I uh, lived in an area in Florida that is huge on introducing United States businesses to global market entry. Um, the government in South Florida is just, in Fort Lauderdale in particular, is just huge on opening that up for us because less than 5% of American businesses are doing business globally, but 90-some percent of business is done globally, not domestically. So it's really good to, I know we touched earlier on in the show, uh, Mr. Levy, sorry, Mitchell Levy, um, that... Um, we were talking about jobs being taken over by robots. Well, before they were taken over by the bots, they were taken over overseas. Um, and so, you know, we've had the documentaries of people following their jobs and where they went overseas. Um, so the world has just shrunk infinitely. Nowadays, when you go to Amazon, uh, I ordered some stuff from Amazon the other day, and I, it wasn't until I clicked and checked out that I knew it was going to be shipping from China. Because they didn't give me the disclosure of that, you know, it's, it wasn't on Prime, so I couldn't get it in two days, but they, it was still free shipping. I chose it, and guess where the postmark was from? Crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's so crazy. And it still got here in a reasonable amount of time. So I, I could only think that we've streamlined as a result of the technology and the infrastructure changing in business um, that... Uh, the the laws are coming in in line with that change to help things push through all the quicker. That's but, the interest that the legal part. Like I, as you we were talking, you you sort of gave me an aha moment. So let me, if you don't mind, let me yeah. say it. Um, so uh, by the way, if if you want to follow where the world is going, I, I I'm going to say this, even though I probably shouldn't. You got to look at the porn industry because they always do stuff ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were building websites and doing video way before the rest of the world did. Right. Well, dating sites today, you could be walking in a supermarket, and if you're using Tinder or other platforms, not that I know, happily married, 28 years, right? So I don't <laughs> use this stuff. But publisher, I'm always curious about how the world works. Right. You can be notified of people who are peers. Yep. Okay, so now, in, in terms of what you said, how cool would it, would it be if you're in your mall or you go on a, you're, you're flying cross country and before you get on the flight, you're notified that one of your best friend's friends that you didn't know it's also on the same flight and you guys could sit together. Yeah. How cool but you is know, that? You, you, with Swarm, they have that where you can check in at a place and they'll show you all the people who have checked in and people that you know that have checked into that same place. So it's almost there. It, we're, we're getting closer. Yeah. But, but the interesting part is, is not only do you want to be told, here's, the, here's a really fascinating part. Not only do you want to be told that you should talk to this person and because you know them from somebody else, you're already giving them that certain level of trust. Now, let's add to that, that, that verb I used before. So you also have a Yelp score that, they're, that they've interacted with people like you in a positive way. <laughs> and then what if, what if the computer automatically hinted to you of the bus- businesses, not business, of the businesses you run, which ones overlap with the businesses that they run? Mm. And so all of a sudden you're sitting down and you do the, the local chit chat, but you are, you don't have to stumble upon the opportunity. It's presented to you. 
Yeah. Something you said earlier about um, um, the global marketplace and, and the thought that came to my mind was about outsourcing. And people really think that outsourcing is a thing of the past. And that is not true. Businesses are still outsourcing. One that comes to mind is Carrier. Right here in the U.S., they just did another round of layoffs because they are still outsourcing business to other other countries overseas um, because it's to save money and it's for all these other reasons. Everybody always has a reason for outsourcing, but it does still happen. Um, and I, my question to you is, do you see the landscape of outsourcing shifting anytime soon or do you believe it's going to continue to increase? <laughs> well, <laughs> one of the things, I, I, one of my authors, woman by the name of Rosemary Coates, um, she wrote a book called uh, Sourcing and Manufacturing to China. And, uh, and she makes a living helping to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she woke up one day and, and realized that she was unhappy with how her grandkids might live in the world. And so she, she created a nonprofit to help bring uh, manufacturing back to the U.S. And so it's an interesting thought process and it's worth thinking about. And one of the things that, that is happening is because of the standard of living in both India and China, the wages are going up. And as the wages go up, the opportunities for outsourcing in, in, from a monetary perspective are not as high. Mm-hmm. So, but, and I sometimes get, get a hard time about this. So I'm just going to tell you a story. So when I started publishing in 2005, I hired somebody to do graphics for me. I paid them $50 an hour. Uh, she was in the U.S. We're still friends today. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, one day, I ran across this after a couple of years. I ran across an, a, a, a working, or how about we say, out-of-work actor mm-hmm. <laughs> who was happy to do my graphics for me for $25 an hour. So I went to my original person, and I said, you know, you know, we've been using Mark for a little bit. Kate was the first person who'd been Mark, using Mark for a little bit. He's really good. But, you know, he's 25 bucks an hour would you be interested in taking 25 or figuring out how we do something different? She said, no. And I said, well, you, you understand it's nothing personal. I, I got to move on. And, and by the way, she came back to me years later because the trend was graphics. People were getting less. She came back to me years later, said, mm-hmm. I should have taken the 25. Um, and so I used Mark for a couple of years until I found a Indian firm mm-hmm. who was charging 12 bucks an hour. And so then I had the conversation with Mark, same conversation. And, and then all of a sudden, the, I was getting my graphics for 12 bucks an hour. And then a couple of years after that, I found a Filipino firm that was $3.50 an hour. Mm-hmm. So the funnest, so whether it's fun or what was interesting, I actually had the same conversation with the Indian firm outsourcing to, to the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And, and now my Filipinos, I think we're at four fifty an hour versus, versus, uh, uh, 350. You know, the thing is, as a business person, what there's a trade off I make. Yes, I'm only paying 450 an hour. Uh, what it means is I need to do some much heavy project management. So I have to recognize there's a cost as a project manager. Because when you're typically when you're working with the Philippines or um, India, and it's hard to generalize, you're not getting the same quality as you might get from somebody in the US. Right. And so you have to implement a good quality assurance program, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? To make mm-hmm. sure things are coming back properly. But at the end of the day, the price that I could offer my customers, my authors, are so much less 
because I'm getting if, if, if somebody wants four or five cover designs, if I'm paying, somebody quoted me $85 an hour uh, just this week. If I'm paying $85 an hour, I may not want to give you that fourth or fifth cover design. Right. $4.50. Um, right. There's a point in time where I'm saying the Peter principle, the pain in the, you know what, factor. <laughs> there's, a, there's a point in time where I say, hey, listen, that's too many. <laughs> but, but generally speaking, it, it comes down to because we now have access to keep track and, and for those that haven't used either Fiverr or Upwork, those love are great them. tools to find yeah, people. Around the world. The world. And there are a whole lot of us people who are there too. So mm-hmm. people who may be charging $50 an hour, but they put out opportunities to do things for five bucks at Fiverr right. or lower rate under a different pseudonym mm-hmm. um, in the US because they're smart enough to realize that work and money is good. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And if they, prove themselves they can then expand into something else yeah so back to you to answer the question the for me i want to use the best resources i can at a reasonable price so i don't mind not i don't mind paying more for u.s resources assuming that my u.s resource actually acts the way i expect them to Mm -hmm. which is the the thing you get with a u.s so our copy editors have to be u.s Right. By definition, because there's some nuances in, in our language and our culture. Right. Um, unless, of course, we're doing books for folks in the UK, in which case I want UK folks. So the, the thing that happens, though, is is those people who get upset and when they do their job, they act just like the person in the Philippines or India. But I'm paying four times as much money. Right. I, it's hard to justify. And I I apologize for somebody who says, hey, listen, Mitchell, you got to go American. And I'd say, well, I'm in the business of providing value for my customers. I need to be able to earn a living so I could, I, my family and I can, can live. Right? Mm-hmm. And so I can't just automatically pay four times as much for my resources as necessary. And, and I'm not atypical than many other businesses. I, I want to say something. You just hit something that really bothers me. I talk about it all the time. It's customer service. For me... Um, especially when I'm paying for a service, um, the value for me is in how this service comes forth. So I don't care if it's Upwork. I don't care if it's Fiverr. I don't care if I'm walking into a business here locally. If the service is not there, I don't like to feel like I'm begging people to take my money. Like I'm the customer. I have something. I want to spend my money, but I want to make sure that the value is there. And the value is not always the end product. It's in how you treat me. It's the entire sales process. And I don't want to feel like, oh, I'm just another, okay, I'm just another job number. I want to feel like you value me as a customer. And I think a lot of times that comes into a lot of play with a lot of people, whether you're a business owner or a regular consumer, as it relates to the landscape of business. And I think sometimes as business owners, we miss that mark a lot of times in creating that value, that experience that creates loyalty among customers you, that make them want to come back. And I think sometimes... You hit the money the answer. <laughs> you hit the money answer. Yeah, I think I the allure is of outsourcing is just... Yeah, there's, yeah. there's two sides to it, but yeah. <laughs> well, and I found value in outsourcing because there's been many of jobs that I've outsourced. Um, um, when I was running sales calls for one of my other businesses, I would use the Philippines to do that, um, primarily because their accent is very good for um, American business. But, um, you know, you, like you said, you have to find the value point. Um, and does that mean you're going to give some things up? 
Yeah, probably so. But it also means that you're able to streamline your business and become more profitable so that you can keep doing business. So it's a fine line that you really have to walk. Let me give a tiny story and we'll make it very local and I'll make it, I'll make this one quick. So we were walking in a town the other day and we walked into a Noah's bagel. Uh, Noah's, uh, you can't get bagels like you get bagels in New York, but you know, in California, they're not bad. Mm-hmm. It's all in the water. So we walked in at three, it was three in the afternoon. It was technically two minutes after three. So we walked in, the door was still open. The guy behind the counter said, and my son wanted a bagel. And, and the guy behind the counter said, sorry, we're closed. Now, clearly, that was not the manager of the store. That was clearly not the owner of the store. And, and, and so my son uh, said, so you sure I can't get something? I just want one bagel, right? And, and he said, no, we're closed. Now, if, I, if it was my store and we were technically closed and I turned the cash register off, I were to put on a glove, reached in the thing, said, sorry, we're, we're really close, but here's the bagel you wanted and just give it away. Because right. they would have thrown away. Because my son says, what are you going to do? You're going to throw these things out anyhow? Exactly. shook his head but didn't respond. So I personally will not frequent a Noah's Bagel for at least a year or two. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I mean, I almost went online and said, okay, I'm going to give a one-star review. And my son said, no, no, no. I don't want to. He was this the customer service thing. I don't want to for them to go out of business. I don't, not that my one-star review right. would have them go out of business. Right. <laughs> go out of business. I'm just unhappy with this person. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is, so to me, even though that's an employee that works local, that is an outsourced, so Noah's outsources to their employees, their customer service. Right. And here's somebody who was not taught what good customer service is. Right. And that's local as well as international. That's I mean, it's up. just all across the line. And so to pull out and try and assess value to price just doesn't happen because I myself found an American designer on Fiverr that did exactly what you said, had a different pseudonym than what she runs her normal business under. And she has been phenomenal. And so it's just really, I think it's the people, it's the individual person thing. Because had it been you behind the counter or as the owner or another different person, then the whole bagel story would have turned out a little different uh, because if it was someone who values and understands customer service. So um, we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to come back in our last segment and uh, wrap up the show. Uh, It's been a good one. Um, Very interesting and aha moments. Um, have come from this. uh, And we hope that you've been able to take some notes and really think about business from a different perspective and where your individual business is going and growing. Um, And please, while we're on break, uh, take some time to visit ahathat.com and theahaguy.com and uh, look Mr. Mitchell Levy up and connect with him. Connect with him on LinkedIn and Facebook and all of those good outlets. And you're listening to Business in Black, uh, Black, excuse me, you're listening to Business in Black and we will be right back. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris.
Alrighty, and we are back. You're listening to Business in Black, the weekly podcast where we talk everything growing, starting, building, toiling in, being frustrated at, but coming out on the other side successful in business. And today we're talking about how is the landscape of business changing with Mr. Mitchell Levy, uh, the ahaguy.com. You can find him there or at ahabat.com. And we're going to spend this last 15 um, or so minutes talking with him about how to translate our um, recognized expert genius, our recognized concerted energy efforts um, into an effective peace for ourselves, for our business. So we spent most of the show talking about businesses. And now we're going to turn it inward and talk more entrepreneurial um, to help these thought leaders that are coming up, these focused experts that are coming up. Um, And I know um, one of the speaking points you talk about is writing that book in eight hours. Um, But then the other one that piques my interest is on how you can effectively do social media five minutes in a day I see is one of the, the key topics you talk about, but then how that social media can turn into part of that book um, to help. Is there a connection there? I see a total connection there. I always answer like my own question. Sorry. So. Oh, I like it. No, good job. Keep going. <laughs> Cause, cause keep going. Keep You're going. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. watching the circle. It's, uh, yes. I'm a visual yes. thinker. So I'm watching you tie the threads together. Like, okay. What's coming next? Okay. <laughs> Yes, but I I think it's fascinating, especially because we're in this season of millennials that have come up and they are complete disruptors. And so they don't want to do that business as usual. And they're able to grab onto the the aha moments that you're providing through aha that and take it and spin it to their own. And so I can easily see their mind pulling those pieces together and producing content that would push them as those thought leaders and designated experts in their fields. So how does one um, just take us through your aha that process and how we can work with you and become an aha person too? Beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So let's start with, with something real simple. The, since the Bible and the Gutenberg press, the concept of a book has still been the, the be all end all in terms of credibility. Mm-hmm. It still is today. It's just, it's just how, how things work. And I've been told since 2005, when I started my publishing company, we published over 800 books. Oh, it, aren't books going to go away? Mm. The answer is no. What I have, however, done is redefine the concept of a book so that you can get a two for one in a quick period of time. So just as a reminder for everyone, uh, you could write your book yourself. Go to ahavat.com slash author. You could write your book yourself in eight hours. Or you can click on the fact it costs you more, but we'll do a two-hour interview. We'll pull out your genius and we'll go straight the book for you. Mm-hmm. An example of pulling out the genius, this is what you both do in your interview. When we're done, we have a one-hour interview. If you put two of those interviews together, there's 140 aha messages in two hours worth of recorded content. Mm-hmm. So just think about who it is that you're talking to, who your guests are. You get two guests that talk about a very similar topic. You can now have an aha book. That's pretty powerful. So, that is. so an aha book's 140 bite-sized quotes. 
What's nice about the 140, it's those seven-second sound bites. It's those things that help you transition your framework, think about things in a different way. And, and so I'm, I'm looking at a book right now. One of our recent books is somebody who, um, she did a TED Talk. She has four and a half million views. And what she teaches uh, executives is how to speak. And how you speak as a business leader, how you present your words, how you articulate, how you dress, how you look, will help you transition yourself from a boss to a leader, hmm. right? And there's a difference. You hear those words. There's a mm-hmm. difference between that. And so uh, she and I, we did the two-hour interview. Uh, we've come up with what happens from the interview. And, and what I'll do is I'll tell you about the three steps. What happens from the interview is we generate 140 bite-sized quotes in a spreadsheet. So she's now analyzing and modifying that spreadsheet. So let's talk about how do you write a book so quickly. And first thing I'll do is, is I'll do this for those that are on the radio. That's a hardcover book. For those that are watching, you can actually see this is a hardcover book. We print color on the inside. It's one or two aha messages per page. And there is nothing more powerful. If you're in business today, there is nothing more powerful than having a book that demonstrates you're the expert. So let's talk about our three-step process, and you'll get it immediately. Step one is the Word document. It's got four questions. So for those that go to ahathat.com slash author, you can see those, uh, you can see the, the Word document. Four questions. What's your name? What's your bio? Title of the book? One paragraph summary. Question one's the most important question. And it, it is, I'll tell you how it reads, and I'll tell you what it says. It reads, who is the reader, and what are their expectations from the book? Okay, let me tell you what it really says. Who is your prospect and what are their pain points? Yes. So imagine you're dealing with a uh, you're dealing with a particular nonprofit, staying healthy in New York City. Okay? Well, what do you do? You write a book, How to Stay Healthy in New York City. And now you have a book that one could read in 10 minutes or they get aha messages right? Of little tiny tidbits of things you can do, right? And all of a sudden you're dealing with a pain point. And when somebody Googles, how do I, how do I stay healthy in New York City? What if your book came up because you addressed the pain point that that person has? By definition, you're the expert. Right. <laughs> right. It's, it's kind of, sometimes life is really simple. So this is really simple. Yes. And, and when, when you write your aha book, so, so step one is really helping you put a, a framework in place of what the book is you should write. Okay. Mm-hmm. Step two is I've curated over 70,000 aha messages. So I created a single page PDF that talks about um, how to create a good aha message. So if you want to share content on social media, and you want to know what to share and how and how to write it, uh, just go to ahavat.com slash author. This is a single page PDF. And step number three is a word is an Excel spreadsheet. And that's where you put your aha messages in. So you could write it yourself in eight hours or less. Or like I said, you could have this write it for you. And then what's interesting is not only do you have a book, whether it's hardcover or paperback, uh, Kindle or PDF. T- PDF typically people use that content uh, for their top of funnel lead gen, mm-hmm. right? So you collect an email address by giving away the PDF for free, or the Aha book, mm-hmm. yeah, or the Aha book where the content's given away for free and shared socially. Every Aha author gets a customized URL. 
Nice. So now what happens is you modify your social media profiles. You modify the footer of your email and you include the URL of the book that will encourage people. If we're talking about the book of getting healthy and staying healthy in New York city, or you're talking about the book of how to be a better, a better business person, how to give or give and deliver better customer service. If you're in a particular vertical, right? That book is now composed of little atomic thought leadership points, I little seven seven sound bites. Um, so that's really the the concept. So go to ahadat.com for those that are interested. The platform is free to use, free to share. At the moment, there are let me check the current number forty two thousand two hundred and forty nine aha messages you could share for free. Wow! Okay, and uh, and then if you decide to author a book. The, the, what we were talking about offline, if you're a teacher or a student, we have a scholarship program. Um, and if you're in business today, what I will tell you, if you want to be in business tomorrow, what needs to happen is you need to demonstrate that you're the expert in your space. Absolutely. How do you do that? Well, you deliver good customer service. You get good word of mouth marketing. You create programs like this. You, you create websites. You create blog posts. You do lots of things. Uh, one of the things that has to be part of that mix, credit a book. Yep. And don't think about, so here's what many of my authors do. They, they think about, oh, my God, I got to create the great American model. It's going to sell like Harry Potter's book. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, no, no. Mm-hmm. If, if this is where I press the easy button for you, uh, either have us do it for you in two hours or spend the eight hours, write it yourself. And, and now you have a book. You could always create that great American novel at some point in time. But if you're in business you're not in business to be a publisher unless you are a publisher. You're right. not in business to be an author unless you get paid to write. Right. You're in business to do whatever your business is supposed to do. So the quickest button you could press to give you the asset you need that will open up more doors and help you become, think about the no like, and trust, mm-hmm. help you become better known, help you hopefully get better liked and better trusted because some of your concepts are in a format that people recognize. Well, that's a huge aha moment for a lot of people because, um, of course, once I I published my first book, people would ask, oh, well, how did you do this? How did you do that? This is an easy, foolproof plan that you can sign up to uh, be a part of that is really going to help those people who struggle with understanding how to write a book, what should the book be about, you know, and the the process of that whole um, bringing it to life, which I love. Um, And I also love the fact that you talk about 80% of the content you share as a thought leader should be someone else's. So you saying how many 47,000 um, pieces of, of shareable information that are available to people. I mean, and really what you've given people is a product in, in that continues to breed babies. That's what you gave people because as that one product of the, the, the book is there, you've also said, but guess what? You're not just getting the book, you're getting all of these pieces that help to support the book like the, the 140 character quotes that you'll be able to post. So now I, I see those all as my Instagram posts and my LinkedIn posts, and those could lead into my newsletter feed outs. And so it's really a good foundation that you're talking about that breeds all these other little babies um, that would allow multiple channels and multiple touch points because we never know how we're going to connect with people. 
And people have to see us typically seven times before they want to know, like, and trust us. And so it's just a great product, it sounds like, for people to connect with. So I encourage you to. I'm going to go check it out even more than what I already have. Um, And so you can connect with Mitchell Levy on ahathat.com or theahaguy.com and check this out because I think it's worth the checkout at least. I think it's great. Right. I think it's great. I want to just want to make a a clear point too, just to be clear when, um, when, when, when people reach out to you for the aha book, do you guys also do the marketing for them to help them? Cause that's the other thing. Um, sometimes you can have the book, but if you're not, if it's not being marketed, so just, just to clarify that, do you also help with the marketing of that book? So, Oh, by the way, that last clip you just gave, I, I, given that we are recording, I'd like you to get to, to ch- cut that one piece out. I'd love to use that and put it on my site. Yeah, sure. That last two minutes were beautiful. Yeah, good. Um, <laughs> so, I, so we do a little bit, okay. right? So it's not zero. But what I, the one thing I, I heard somebody said this yesterday. I, I'm sorry, this the, uh, the last couple of weeks, and I got to figure out who it is because I want to be able to give attribution. There's this concept called the Messiah complex. (laughs) And what happens is we all think that we're going to reach one person and they're going to have the answer and they're going to solve my problem, (laughs) the Messiah, (laughs) right? And so, yes, we do some marketing. We currently have a marketing package that we sell and we're comping it between now and the end of the year. It's a $450 package. We have uh, over 700,000 users who are looking for content to share. So if your content is right and we feature you in our newsletter, um, more people will be sharing your content. Mm -hmm. Um, But really, it's not about how much we market for you. Yep. Right? Because even if we spent a ton of money on Facebook ads, we don't know your audience the way you know your audience. Right? And so... What it comes down to is instead of spending hundreds of hours writing your book, and, and if you decide to self-publish, hundreds of hours self-publishing your book, instead, if you took that time and started marketing you, <laughs> so you snap your fingers, you have an asset, mm-hmm. and now you reach out to your audience who, by the way, you're writing your book on the pain points they have. So now, and this was so beautiful, you take two or three of your aha messages and you write an article or you write a blog post and you post it in locations that your prospects are hanging out and they see that you've written an article and then they click on the article and see that you wrote a book and then they click on mm-hmm. that and they see that you have a website. And then, so, so what I'd like to say is no matter how much we did and we do some, right. I don't want to stay at zero. Right. Um, and I could talk about all the stuff we do, but it's not about what we do. It's more about as a business person going forward you need to be everybody. And, and if you may not like these words, but you need to be a salesperson. You need yep. to be a marketer. Yep. You need to be recognizing. You need to be good at customer service. S- simple. Absolutely. If you can't do those things. Now, you don't have to be a, you know, the, a sleazy sales guy to be yeah. a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Right? But what, what you do have to do <laughs> is sometimes you have to ask for the deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Or ask for the next meeting or ask for the conversation. Cause if you don't ask, 
you'll never get it, <laughs> right? Right. And so, so <clears throat> selling and marketing is simply being passionate about what you do and sharing it in such a way that the person you're talking with, whether you're talking with them online or physically, sort of get it. They see the passion and they recognize that's a problem they have that you could solve. Right. And then you direct them in the place that could help them. Mm-hmm. And so I, it was a long way of answering your question. Yes, we do a little bit of marketing, but what I'd like to see happen, and by the way, you got me thinking about one new product I'm going to be delivering soon. Um, what I like to see happening is people need to recognize how they need to market themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and so just to that end, uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, I think it was last week, I was in Salt Lake City, staying with one of my authors, and he gave me an aha moment, and I'll share it with you. He goes, Mitchell, you've published 800 books. You've been doing this for 12 years. You, you probably know a bunch of marketing techniques that authors have used that worked, right? Mm-hmm. I go, uh-huh. He says, well, how about when somebody writes an aha book that you create a 52-week email autoresponder, sending them ideas, one to two-minute ideas of things they could do every week. And I was like, oh, Good. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. I could do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? That's yeah. And, and because originally I was thinking about creating a membership site and doing videos and having recording and, you know, you become an aha author, you get access to the site. I may still, or having office hours, but that still requires work. Right. I so could send you an email once, and by the way, it wouldn't be me, it'd be whatever platform automatically sends it out. Mm-hmm. I could send an email once a week and one of them, one of the emails will be, here's an email you should send to five-year prospects, <laughs> right? Uh, and I'm thinking, that's pretty cool. So anyhow, yeah. that, that's my, what am I going to do this holiday break? I'm going to try to make sure I get that done. And hopefully by saying it out loud enough. <laughs> it will happen. I'm the same way. I have to do that. I think that's genius because people need that direction. And I also think it's genius that you're doing the ghost writing for people because most people don't want to take or tell themselves they don't have the time to take those eight hours. And I hate that we are up for the show. We're, I mean... I, my brain is on aha overload in a good way <laughs> because it's just been such an amazing amount of exchange. And so we oh, appreciate you. you for that, um, for giving some really good tips and good information and good conversation about um, just the business landscape and period, uh, landscape period, but then also how you specifically can plug in uh, to help increase people's businesses and their lives. Cause a lot of, these things are transferable right over into their personal domain as well. Um, So we hate to say goodbye, but we'd love to have you back anytime you would love to come back. I'd love to hear more about the 52 weeks. So maybe there's a calendar series that goes with that. I don't know. I'm just, can I, how about I give a suggestion to you? Yes. Um, And that would be when you run across as somebody on the show that you really like, or or either either of you guys run across something that you really somebody you really like in business that you think could absolutely benefit by having a book like this, why don't we bring all of us on the air and we talk about it? For sure. And we'll we'll continue talking about it. We'll talk about you now. Look, we'll talk about you in some shows to come. Because well, that's, awesome. that's what we do. Because, you know, we want people to grow. And if we have the tools to help them, then why not share that? Because um, it's about them 
benefiting and you benefiting from having the aha moments that we all need to explore and um, just be around. So we thank you so much for being here. And we thank you for listening to another episode of Business in Black, the podcast that is weekly, uh, where Dr. Hughes and I chop it up, talk about everything starting, growing, running, and building a successful business. Uh, you can catch us, of course, on um, online at Business in Black um, through blog talk, excuse me, as well as you can catch uh, me on business intelligence coach and Dr. Hughes, uh, www.theglobalmentorcoach.com. Always. And please check out our guest for today, Mitchell Levy at aha that.com or the aha guy.com. And, uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks so much. Take care, everybody. You guys are great. You're listening to Business in Black with your host, Danita Harris.